Oh, welcome back. I'm so, so excited. I know I've said that so many times, but I really am. We, we were blessed to go and have a holiday for just over a week and our flights got cancelled, so we got a few extra days, which was in the beginning stressful, but in the end, incredibly <laughs> blessing that we got to sit by the pool for another little while. And it's been very exciting just being able to hear God and listen to what he's saying and, and listen to what other people are saying around the world. And, and I was challenged while I was away I've had a verse that I've wanted to preach for the last sort of five weeks. And I felt God put it on my heart. But every time I went to preach it, I felt him tell me no. And he gave me something else. So while I was away, I was sitting reading a book, which I was able to finish on holidays, which is incredible. And in this book, I was praying, God, what do you want me to, pray? What do you want me to preach when we get back? Do I even preach? Do we, do we just go and worship and, and spend some time prophesying or which is what we've normally done. And as I was reading, I was reading this book by Toza, and I was praying that morning, God, what do you want me to preach? What do you want me to preach? And then as I opened the chapter I was about to read, here's the verse that God's given me for so long and in a broken down manner. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll take that as um, I'm ready to preach this sermon that I'd written. But it's been quite interesting to me as I watch every, every new year, every time we start a church service, it's very interesting when you're on social media because you see all of the uh, New Year's resolutions and everybody has this fun, exciting plan that they're going to lose 10 kilos or quit smoking or whatever it is they've put before them. And I was sitting there and I was, I was chatting with Brad and we were talking about the, the prophetic world and, and, and prophets that come forward and that around New Year's there's also always heaps of different prophecy that comes forward. And... <laughs> I got to thinking, I thought, yeah, that's kind of like the Christian New Year's resolution, that there's always, around New Year's, there's a heap of prophecy that comes out. And you, you choose which one best suits you, and, and then you go, that's the prophecy for me, I'm going to carry that, and God's going to bring that apart in my life. And while I'm not discounting prophecy at all, I'm actually going to preach on that this morning, it started to get me to think about, all right, God, if there's this many prophets in the world, they're all prophesying something different, all the things that are the same, I can start to go, wow, I can see how that's going to implement in the church. But I started to see different things. But God showed me that if I have a New Year's resolution to lose 10 kilos, which may or may not be on my New Year's resolution, well, I'll tell you at the end of the year if I made it or not. But if I have a New Year's resolution to lose 10 kilos and I go, okay, this is my New Year's resolution, I write it on my vision board or whatever it is, put it on my fridge, and then for the rest of the year I sit on my couch and I eat chips, I'm not going to obtain that 10 kilo weight loss. Thanks, Marky. Thank you. Oh, it's fizzy. It's nice. Fancy. Look at us stepping up, eh? If I, if I say I'm going to lose 10 kilos, that's my New Year's resolution, but then I sit on the couch and I eat burgers and chips, I don't spend a day in the gym, I don't put my joggers on, I don't do anything, guess what? I'm not going to lose that 10 kilos I set out to do it. I'm actually going to put weight on. I'm not going to obtain anything. I'm not going to get to the goal that I've set out. It doesn't matter how many scrapbook visions I've done. It doesn't matter how many people I've told to be accountable to. If I don't do anything, I'm not going to lose the weight. But that's the same with the prophecy of God. In the scriptures, we see two types of prophecy. I'm going to fumble this word, but it essentially means there's a, a canical um, prophecy, which is written in Scripture, the canon, which we were never, ever going to be able to stop. Jesus dying on the cross was a prophecy that we were never, ever going to stop. Man was not going to stop God from going to the cross. 
Jesus. That was a prophecy done, written, finished. Doesn't matter who stood in the way, God was ripping them out of the way. Get out of my way. I'm taking, I'm going to the cross. But then there's another level of prophecy in the scriptures that's an invitation and is taken from the book that is written about our lives, which is written in in Psalms. Okay, so all of us have a book, it says in Psalms, written on our lives from the beginning of time. All of us. In that book is the life that God's mapped out for us. But the free will that God's given us allows us to choose whether we live from that book or not. When we get given a prophecy... It's an invitation to step into what God has for us. It's an invitation to walk with him into something that he has. If someone gives me a prophecy and it's, and it's backed by, by two or more witnesses, two or more voices from separate areas that give the same thing, I now have something in front of me that I get to step into. But like the losing 10 kilos, if I sit on the couch and do nothing with it, guess what? It's not going to come in to what he has for me. So I'm looking at all these prophecies and please, Jess and I believe so strongly, we were talking about it last night and again this morning, that we believe God has something for this nation in a big way. He has something for for, for us as a people, his his bride. If you've been following a lot of the stuff from the fires, there's been some incredibly interesting things put in the news about spiritual spiritual things, Christians praying that have never prayed before. I watched an interview with a lady and she said, I don't even know God exists, but he's the last hope that I have. And she was praying. The, the, the harvest field in Australia is ripe. Do I think God sent the fires? No, I don't think he did. Do I think the enemy has done something in, a, in, in the way out like Brad prophesied a few weeks before we left? Yes, there's a tearing apart because the enemy knows that this nation is set for something incredible. There is a lot of prophecy coming out of England, America, South Africa, pointing to Australia. There's a lot of the world's eyes are on Australia at the moment, especially in the Christian world. But that's an invitation for the church to pick that up and step into that. It's now our turn and our time to say, okay, God, you're giving us something. Let me put my hands to the grindstone and do it. If I was to say, <laughs> sorry, let me have a sip of water. If I was to say that God is so sovereign that everything that happens, happens because of him, which I don't believe. I've spent a long time in the scriptures to find that out. If I was to say that, a lot of us would say, hey, Ben, you're wrong on that. And I would have email and phone call and long times of discussion to go through that, that teaching. However, when it comes to prophecy, something gets prophesied, we apply that same teaching to our life where we go, God said it, he's going to make it happen. I don't have to do anything. But that's not how prophecy works. Prophecy is the beginning of something that you can get into, but you've got to walk into it. So just as God leads us to that place, he gives us the tools to actually step something out into that. God calls you into something. He calls you in. To that place. I want us to understand this because there's so much that's been said and it's exciting. Jess and I have had a lot of prophecy over our life. And I said, Jess, this is so exciting, but it's also incredibly nerve-wracking because it means we have so much work to do. All kinds of things that guys have said. I sat with a guy 
who I believe is an incredible prophet for five hours because we lost track of time. And he was just going for stuff. I've written a ton down. I thought, wow, if the church can take hold of this, if we as a people can grab this, we will see a move of God like we've never seen before. But it's up to us as a people to, to say, yes, God, I'll lay down my will. I'll get out of your way and I want your will to come into this place. We believe strongly that something is coming, that something is, is ready to move, but we have to be ready. If you've got a Bible, go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This was a verse that I've had written at the bottom of probably my last five or six uh, sermons that I've preached with the aim to try and fit it into that sermon and I've never gotten to it. But I feel like God this morning is saying to us that it's time, it's time for us to be ready in season and out. And I know a lot of you have probably heard this, this preached a lot, but I think it's, an important, it's important for us right now in this moment. 2 Timothy 4. 1 to 8, I charge you, I read from the ESV, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming where people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith." Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have listened, oh, sorry, who have loved his appearing. Paul writing to Timothy, and he says this to him, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, back to verse 1, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, he's giving himself the authority to speak. By what you've seen, Timothy, by the power of God, by who Jesus is, he was and will be, and by his kingdom, I say this to you. He's giving himself the authority to speak into Timothy's life. And he says this, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. That preach the word, we have to understand, is not get a church, get a pulpit and preach from the pulpit. That preach the word means to, to, to live out all of who he is, to speak of him all the time, to everywhere you go, your language speaks of the one of whom you worship, of Jesus. That's to preach, to be, be somebody who people know you look different because every time you open your mouth, you speak love, kindness, patience. He's saying, preach your life of who he is. It doesn't, we, we hear preach and we go, okay, I need to go and learn how to preach from the pulpit. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, everywhere you go, speak of me. Speak of Jesus. Speak of who he is. To herald, to proclaim, to make known is what that word preach means. We do it everywhere and we make known the name of Jesus. He then says, be ready in and out of season. Know who he is. Know his words. Know his heart. 
Know who you are in him. Don't wait for the fight before you begin to train. Sports stars, when they don't have a fight or a game or it's their off-season, they don't stop training, especially fighters. Fighters will train every day that they can. They will have maximum five to six days off, maximum. But even then, they're still running, they're still training. Why? Because at any moment, the phone could ring and they have a title fight and they need to already be ready. They change the level of which they... Sorry, they change the level of which they train. When the fight's on, they turn it up. When they're in an off-season, they turn it down, but they don't turn it off. They continue to train. It's the same for us. It's the same for every one of us. Well, I'm not a, I'm not a preacher. It doesn't make any, that doesn't matter. You're going to preach every day of your life. Be ready. Well, I'm not discipling anybody at the moment. It doesn't matter. Train, know who he is, learn who he is, be with him, want to spend time with him. Because at that very moment when someone says, hey, when God calls you and says, I've got something for you to do, you're already ready. God, where do you want me to go? I've already got the tools. I'm already packed and ready to go. It amazes me how much in conversation the Holy Spirit brings up verses that I've had in my quiet time that I didn't actually note down. I didn't highlight it with my crayon. I, I, I read it, but it, it didn't pop up to me until I'm in that conversation. And I go, I'm speaking, going, Flip, I didn't remember that. I didn't remember Titus chapter 7, the third line in where it says this. But the Holy Spirit, I, that, that is a way in my storehouse. I, it's a way where, where I know that it's there, but I can't call on it until the Holy Spirit pulls it out of me. When I read a book and they give like 30 references... I used to skim over the references because I'm like, oh, well, I'll find them later. But someone challenged me and said, if, if you're not actually reading them, even though you don't remember them, you're banking them in your subconscious and the Holy Spirit pulls those out at times. That's to be trained all the time. That's to be saying to God, God, everything I see from you, I'm going to store away. Everything I see and I want you to call upon me whenever you need somebody and I will be diligent and do as you've asked me to do. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with patience and teaching. I rewrote this and I wrote it like this. Disapprove of the things of the world and urge people to righteousness. Urge people to that thing I spoke about before we went on break. Cl clean hands and a pure heart. Urge people to a position, but a position that you're living. A position that you're walking in. You're, you're a part of. Don't urge somebody to something that you're not actually at least given it a red-hot crack to bring that righteousness into your own life. But I love that he puts there and he says, with patience and with teaching. We don't stand from our ivory tower and yell at those who aren't living in the same place we are. That's why it was so phenomenal that Jesus came in a manger. He came in the lowest possible place to reach those who were in the lowest possible place. That's how we come. We come with our nose to the floor. Please, listen to me. The life you're living is not the life you should be living. I'm going to read a verse at the very end that's scary in this, but, but there's an urge there. There's, a, there's a, a desire quick. Get your life and, and get it back into order with him because the moment you do that, your life is going to clean up your life is going to become so much more fruitful, so much more filled with joy, so much more filled in a direction that he wants you to go. But we have to be ready 
to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. We cannot keep looking like the world. We cannot keep looking like the world. We have to look different, and we have to know why we look different. There will come a time when they will not endure sound teaching. This time is among us. We're in that time now. We've had conversations with guys that have some of the most wacky left field teaching. And I've asked them, how do you get there? What does it matter? I'm there. But they will not listen. And it's not our job to force them to listen, but it is our job to say, this is what I see and this is why I see it. But this next one is very itching, very interesting. They'll have itching ears. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Paul's doing something very interesting here. At the time that he wrote this, there was a disease among pigs that would get into the inner ear canal of a pig when it spent too long in the mud. So when a pig wanted to stay in the filth and the mud for too long, it would get a disease in its ear and it would make its ear itch incessantly. So it would go over to a pile of rocks and it would find the perfect rock that fit just enough into its ear canal and it would scratch the itch with that rock. What Paul's saying here is he says, those of you who choose not to live by the way of the Lord, but to live in the world, have your time out there, get sick, get an itch in your ear, and then come back to find the perfect rock just for you to get that itch scratched. And the moment it's scratched, you'll go back to the mud pile. We have this rife in the church. They come through the doors. What can you, church, do for me? How can I mould this building to fit perfectly inside my ear, to scratch the itch I got out there so that once it's done, I can go back out there? This is what needs to be broken in the church, in the West particularly, was that we created a platform, we created a place that said, come in, bring your itch, We'll scratch it for you and then you can go back out and go on with your day. Paul is saying that this teaching that I bring you, this teaching that is of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, the one who saved, it's going to be hard to hear. It's going to be challenging. But I promise you, it's going to bring you more than just a, a scratch to the itch. It's going to bring you more than you've ever bargained for. That itch you have is going to be removed and you're not going to want to go back to the mud because you're going to find clarity in life right here, right now. Look around us. We, we have people moving and jumping. I didn't like when he said this, so I'm moving churches. I didn't like when they did this, so I'm moving churches. I didn't like when that happened or that they didn't have this, so I'm moving. And I, I just go, man, what, what are you doing? You're looking to get that itch scratched because it's all about you. And Paul's saying it's never about us. I'm a sacrifice. I'm a drink offering poured out, emptied for Jesus. I'll give him everything. My life is worth nothing because of he who sent me. I don't care what you have. I don't care what you don't have. So long as you're preaching Jesus, I'm there and I want to do what, you, what God's asked me to do. Paul was saying, stop. Stop looking for that itch to be scratched. Stop looking for that little hole in your ear to be filled. Stop playing in the mud and come 
and listen to the harsh things I have to say that will bring you into righteousness, that will bring you into fullness, that will bring you into who I am and who I've always wanted you to be. We have to repent, guys. We have to. We have to get on our knees and say, God, I, I don't want to make this about me anymore. I want to make it about you. All around the world, in so many churches, guys are coming forward. They're repenting and saying, God, I'm done with this being about me. And God is moving in these places. He's saying, now that you've given me the reins back, now that you've given me the reins back, watch what I'll do. It's like God sitting next to us and saying, are you finished with the reins? We're going through this muddy path and it's awful, but are you done? The moment you're done, give me the reins and I'll show you where we can go. That coming before him on our knees, face down, like I preached just before we left, in the most vulnerable, vulnerable position a man can have, on his face and saying, Jesus, I'm done with the reins. I'm giving them back to you. Have it your way. Have it your way, King Jesus. Do what you want to do. The next he says is be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Endure suffering. Endure suffering. And fulfill your ministry. Be sober-minded, endure suffering, and fulfill your ministry. I've written, do not act from your flesh. Keep your mind clear and away from the things that will obstruct Holy Spirit. Do not let the world stop you from filling your ministry. That sober-minded speaks of wine. When you break the word down, it speaks of wine. It speaks of, of not taking in substances in such uh, in such a way that loses the way we see clearly, loses the way that we hear the Holy Spirit. But there's so many things that we take. There's so many things in this world now that we, we numb ourselves with and we can't hear clearly the voice of God. But then we say, I'm not hearing God's voice. Yeah, because there's so much in your mind that's not Him. There's so much noise that's not him. That's why you can't hear him because you, your mind is so filled with so much stuff that when he speaks, we don't hear anything. And Paul's saying, be sober-minded. Remove the things that are not allowing you to see who he is. Stop drinking so much. Stop taking the things you shouldn't be taking. Stop doing the things you know you shouldn't be doing because when you enter into that place, you can't hear his voice. And you know, that's the scariest, scariest place we can ever be. That was the very reason I stopped going out with my friends and getting drunk. It was because I had a moment where, I think I've shared this before, but I had a moment where I had drunk a lot and I, I started, it was almost like I was a third person in my body and I could watch drunk Ben do the things and I was, I was looking at myself going, you are a goose, mate. Why are you doing that? And it was almost like I was watching myself do something. I remember I woke up and I told my buddy the next morning, I said, I'm done. I, the moment I lost control, I, I realized I was somebody I didn't want to be. And what happened was I lost control from hearing the voice that guides me. I lost the ability to actually hear what he was saying to me, and I became somebody I was never meant to be. I became somebody I didn't want to be. And thankfully, I didn't, I didn't walk into anything that was awful or debaucherous. I was able to, to just be a goose and laugh at myself. But that's why it says be sober-minded, because you become somebody God never created you to be. That's why it scares me with the amount of, of, of medication and pain things we take and, 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 
any depressants and things. I'm not saying that, then, that we shouldn't take them, but when we take so much our whole lives, we know guys that have been on them since they were like, like 15, 16, and they're now in their 40s. And I think, man, I, that scares me to pieces because I think what is clouding my mind that doesn't allow me to hear his voice? To hear the one who created me, the one who's calling me into all things, the one who's leading and holding the reins of my life. Be sober-minded. Endure suffering. We heard Brad preach about the fact that we're going to walk through the valley. It doesn't say if you walk through the valley. It says when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when you go through suffering. And I know there's plenty of guys in here who have just walked through awful levels of suffering. And well done to you guys. Debbie, well done. The way you've hope you've held on is phenomenal. Well done. The way you've seen him through that is phenomenal. Well done. That that's how you endure suffering. If you want to know how to endure suffering, go and ask Deb. She's endured it so well, but it's gonna come. It doesn't say if it says when we're going to go through that place but we don't lose sight of him we don't lose holding on to him we don't allow him to not have the reins because that's what paul's saying and then he says fulfill your ministry fulfill the things that he's given you fulfill the life that i've planned out for you it's the most important thing that you could do paul writes and says that my life's not worthy not worth anything. What's worth something is fulfilling the ministry that he gave me, fulfilling the task that the, the Holy One asked me to do. That's what's important. If you don't know what that task is, seek his face. Prayer and fast. Get on your knees. Like Moses, Holy Spirit, I won't move anywhere until you tell me where to go. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill the things he's asked you to do. And then he finishes with this. Finish the race and receive your inheritance. Finish the race. Paul finishes the race well. He says, I've fought the good fight and I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. There's not a great deal of leaders and Christians that can say this, that they finished the race well. We get to know, we got, I've got to know a few. There's been some real big ones. Reinhard Bonnke and and. Billy Graham, guys like this, finished the race well. They fought the good fight. They fought the whole way. We've all heard that this is a marathon, not a sprint. We've seen big ministries in the last six months peak and then fall hard. Because it's about a marathon. It's about finishing the race, spending time with him, being with him, allowing his life to change, finish the, allowing his life to change us, finish the life, Finish the race and receive your inheritance. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to read an a excerpt from the book that I was reading. It's by A.W. Tozer. It's called Live in the Spirit. And he writes this. In times past, the church and the world were separated so they at least knew where they stood. The world did not like the church and tried to kill all Christians. Territullian said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. He also emphasized that there is no use killing Christians because every time you kill one, three others spring up. So they quit trying to kill them and they set about wooing them. When they stopped trying to kill them and started to woo them, they won. Today, the world is not trying to kill us as such. Rather, it is trying to make us harmless by pulling out our claws and teeth 
and turning us into harmless tabby cats purring by the fireside while the world marches to hell. The world passes by and says, wow, look at, look at how pretty the kittens are. God means we should have the life of God in us as a spirit within us. The world should know that and there should be a sharp division. I thought, I read this and I was like, man, he's bang on. We've become, the church has become powerless. But I believe what God's calling us into is a powerful time in him. But we've got to not be wooed by the world. We've got to not be wooed by the things that, that get said, by the things that, well, I don't know if we should preach that because it's pretty, pretty scary. Well, Jesus preached it. So if he preached it, I think I'm pretty safe to preach it. Yeah, but you might upset people. Well, I don't know what to tell you. We're going to go ahead and preach it because Jesus preached it. And I want to set my life on the things that he said and did. I want, to, I want to put myself in a place where he is. The church needs to be powerful and different. That's us individually, that we should be powerful and different. I think I've told the story a hundred times. It's one of my favorite stories from Mike. But Mike told a story about when he was in a, a cotton wool store and there was an Arab man serving him and he began to cry and he said, I see Jesus in your eyes. That looks different. That's Mike carrying himself in such a way where people saw him and they said, I see something different on you. I see a life that's different. That's power. That's the power of Jesus living inside us. I preached before, we are the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. The housing of God, the Creator, here on earth is in us and flows through us and out of us. Fear should not have a place in that because of who is in us and flows through us. Our salvation is free. But discipleship is going to cost us something. Sanctification, inheritance, it's going to cost us something. You can't read James without reading the fact that we've got a job to do. We've got something to do. That verse says, Jesus says, pick up your cross daily, every day. That when we lay ourselves down, we don't lay ourselves down once at salvation and go, well, I'm done. I'm finished. Yes, you are saved, locked away, hidden in Christ, in, in, at the right hand of the Father, on the throne, in him, finished, done. That's what the Bible says. But yet there's a work to do. There's a job for us to do. That's the reason that we're still here. And it's going to cost us something. When we give ourselves to Jesus, we let go of all of who we are. We die to ourselves and we rise in him. When we go under that water, we die to ourselves and we rise in him. We have to continue as a people, be willing to lay ourselves down every single day. God, get me out of the way so that your will be done. He will use you. Yes, he loves you. We know that. But he also wants to use us to have the job done that he sees that needs to be done. Is that okay? Is anyone nervous? I'm nervous. I say this all the time. I say it to my wife all the time. 
when we get a prophecy, when I hear God say something, when he gives me a sermon, I'm excited, I'm pumped, but gee, I'm nervous. There's times where I'll preach, even though I've done this so many times now, where my stomach feels like there's a whole herd of elephants in there. And not because I haven't eaten so much, because I normally don't eat before Sunday, but because I feel the weight of what God's asked me to do. Because I feel, God, I don't want to get in your way. I want your will done here. Leading this church is a, is a difficult thing for me. Not because I have to get up and go to work every morning or talk to people or lead people. or That's not the stuff that worries me. The stuff that worries me is, God, I want to do it your way. Please keep me accountable. Search my heart. Find anything that's in here that's not of you and please take it away. Because you've given me the task. I spoke a few weeks ago, I don't remember what it was, on the fear of God. And I feel that every day that I carry him, carry his, his call. I feel that fear. It's a reverential fear. It's a fear that I, I go, God, I know you love me like a father. I know you love me. But Flip, I want to do these dishes well. I want to make sure that there's no, like nothing left in the sink. I want to make you proud. Because he's asked us to do that. Because he's asked us to be a people who carry and usher in his presence. Because he's asked us to be a temple of his Holy Spirit. He's asked us to carry who he is, to be his image bearer here on earth, so that the people of earth can see what it is in heavenly places. That they can see a kingdom they've never seen before. They can understand the impact of a father and a king that they've never seen before. We bring ourselves to a place where we say, God, it's all or nothing. It's all of you or nothing. If you've got a Bible with you, go to Philippians 3. I'm going to finish with this. Philippians 3, 12. I want to read this and then we're going to go back in and we're going to worship. And I'm going to, I'm going to be a little bit wild. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation because I feel like it, it I know. That's normal. Oh, cat doesn't have passion. It won't be even passion up there. I'm sorry. See, cat, I told you I couldn't submit you my things. I don't know what I was going to do. I've got it written in the ESV and the Passion. But I'm going to go from the passion because I feel like it draws out some things that, that we just see in such a way. But then I want to go into worship. And I want us to worship with this in mind. God, in 2020, I give myself to you. I repent. This is a tricky one. But I repent for when I've made it about me. For all that I've made it. I repent, Lord. Repent means to shift your view back to him. Change the way you see. I've seen me and I'm repenting from that. God, I want to see you. And for 2020, I submit myself to you, Jesus. Holy. Not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-Y. Two L's. <laughs> 
Spelling's not my strong suit. Uh, I bought Dame so that he could teach me through it. Holy, H-O-L-L-Y. Holy, everything that I am, I give to you. Now, we get it. I've spelt it wrong, but we get it. All of me. All of me. God knows. He knows what you're saying. Don't. He, he won't be bamboozled, I'll tell you. But God, for 2020, whatever comes my way, whatever valley, whatever challenge, whatever suffering, whatever mountaintop, whatever triumph, whatever succession, I give myself to you. See, because we, we want to give ourselves to God in the valley because he'll pull us out. But sometimes we struggle to give God, give ourselves to God on the mountaintop because we're already there. I don't need to be pulled out. But it's just as important. It's just as important up there as it is down here. Don't wait to get to the valley to cry out and say, I give myself to you. Be ready now, in season, out of season. Be ready now, God. I give myself to you wholly. So I'm going to read this verse. There's a very challenging part at the end of this. And I want us to take it with a sober mind and think through it. Take this verse, if you're taking notes, write it down, Philippians 3, 12 to 21. Read and reread this verse throughout the week, throughout the months, throughout the year. In the Bible, they've given it the little title, and I quite like this title. It says, Straining Toward the Goal. Verse 12. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I am pursuing. But I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach my purpose that Jesus has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I do not depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So let all who are fully mature have this same passion. And if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to them. And let us all advance together to reach this victory prize, following one path with one passion. My beloved friends, Imitate my walk with God and follow all those who walk according to the way of life we modeled before you. For there are many who live by different standards. As I have warned you many times and I weep as I write these words, they are enemies of the cross of the anointed one and doom awaits them. Their God has possessed them and made them mute. Their boast is in their shameful lifestyles and their minds are in the dirt. But we are a colony of heaven on earth as we cling tightly to our life giver, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our humble bodies and transfigure us into the identical likeness of his glorified body. Using his matchless power, he continually subdues everything to himself. We are a colony of heaven on earth and we cling tightly to our life giver. So why don't we stand... Philippians 3, 12 to 21. 
We are a colony of heaven on earth. And as we cling tightly to our life giver, the Lord Jesus Christ, He will transform our humble bodies and transfigure us into the ideal likeness of His glorified body. His matchless power continually subdues everything to Himself. His matchless power continually, continually subdues everything to Himself. Jesus, so powerful Jesus we honour you we glorify your name we worship you and we praise you Jesus Lord we repent shift our minds Lord take it off us Jesus position ourselves to see you keep our eyes fixed on you our gaze mounted on you, Jesus, in the valleys and on the mountaintops, Lord. Keep our eyes affixed to you, Jesus, because you are the only thing we want to see. God, come and have your way. We lay our will down. We get out of the way. We say your will be done here. Come and have your way. Come and have your will be done, Jesus. It's all about you. It's all about you. Come and have your way, Lord. Come and have your way, Jesus.